Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast Extras. This episode, we take a look at some game trailers from E3, including Fallout 76, Dying Light 2, and Battlefield 5. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McKay. Dennis, on the main show this month, we talked quite a bit about your recent trip to CompDex, and we enjoyed some amazing whiskey. Mm-hmm. On the extra, I thought we'd downgrade a little bit. We're going to talk about trashy trailers for some upcoming games and drink a Taiwanese beer. Cool. We have the gold medal Taiwan beer. Ironically, what was it, three years ago when I came back from Computex? I missed a couple, unfortunately. Right, right. I brought one of these back, and we cracked it open. It was the first time you had a Taiwan beer. It was? And I'm going to make a tradition. Every time I go to Computex, I'm bringing one back. So while Dennis is popping this bad boy open, let's talk a little bit about one of the games I'm most anticipating. For the upcoming year, there's a lot of press, and we're going to watch the E3 trailer for Fallout 76. So if you haven't already watched this trailer, I'd encourage you to pause this video. We don't mind. Go watch it, but please, please come back because we want to share our thoughts with you, and we'll do that over a beer. All right, we're back. We saw that E3 trailer and followed it up with a little bit of um, what do you need to know about Fallout? Because there wasn't a lot in the trailer. It was very nice. We had a West Virginia sort of undertone going on with some pretty graphics, but it didn't really say much. Well, I think that in general, the Fallout games have tended to build upon the previous Fallout games. And maybe the most important thing about Fallout 76 is that it's a bit of a spiritual prequel. In fact, it happens, uh, you know, as the first vault dwellers are moving into the West Virginia landscape. But they've taken, I think, some really radical uh, changes in the gameplay that I think are going to be very divisive. And these came out at the uh, at the game release conference. So you can find the footage of this also online. And we're going to drop some spoilers. So huge spoiler alert if you haven't seen those previews or if you want to avoid much of the gameplay stuff. We're not going to go very deep, but we are going to talk a little bit about some of the gameplay specifics. Are you telling people not to listen to our podcast right now? I'm telling people that if you're already here, it's not going to ruin the game for you because you're already a Fallout fan, I hope. And if you're not, boy, how do you should be? You should be out buying Fallout games. But I'm a huge fan, and they are a huge time suck. And up until Fallout 76, it was a single-player experience. Yes, single-player. So these games have been really large. Fallout 76, four times the Fallout 4 zone. Now, there were rumors that Fallout 76 was going to take you back to Fallout Vegas or one of the previous game environments, but the trailer has shown us that this is a whole new environment and multiplayer co-op. But it also kind of hints, and if you watch the E3 exposure, you'll know that you can play with up to three of your friends, so a party of four. You can build your own home or base, mm-hmm. which is uh, an expansion on what they did in Fallout 4, which was there, but it kind of felt like an add-on. Yep. But co-op play is the biggest difference, the biggest change in the Fallout. And I expect that we'll see this co-op element uh, move forward into Bethesda's other game environments. I know they've teased another Skyrim uh, release in the near future and that they might take us back to some of those other Morrowind-type environments. Mm -hmm. That would be awesome, actually, because that was the one thing missing from Skyrim was the fact that you could not play with your friends, and it really was an environment that was kind of rich for that. 
Fallout 76, a graphical upgrade, a improvement in the engine. But if you've already played the Fallout games, you kind of know what to expect. You have your VAT system. You uh, have some crafting elements. You have the base building elements, which have been dramatically improved. Mm -hmm. You have this new co-op element, which allows you to specialize in different ways so you can work together. But they've stressed that you'll still be able to play single player if that's what you really get into. That's cool. Now, some other surprises about this, um, other than the environment, is the improved um, creatures, the fact that there will be enemy AIs that will work against you and will attack your base, which you always had before, but these are improved, and that you will be actually online on a Bethesda-based server, which can have other players playing co-op, building their bases, that are either going to be friendly or not. Mm. So you can do base raiding. Now, we've seen this in a lot of games, and I know this is kind of venturing into the MMORPG element a little bit. Yeah. I don't necessarily like that it's a Bethesda server that's running all of this stuff. It kind of spins back to um, Elder Scrolls Online. Like they're trying to pull that sort of ecosystem back in where you have this massive multiplayer sort right. of situation. The maps are huge, obviously, and you get to play with everybody, but it's a pay-to-play because it's, you know, it was made like a Warcraft kind of situation, but... This one seems more like they want to pull in Battlefield 4, Battlefield 1 sort of situation where you have these paid servers and you get to connect to the one that you're playing on. Well, I have to admit that this is one of the things that I find both exciting and sort of scary at the same time. And they've stressed that these servers, although being so much larger than the previous Fallout games, mm -hmm. that they're anticipating somewhere around 12 players total on the server, which would mean that you could have three parties of four. So it is possible to have entire play sessions without encountering any other player characters, even in a full server. Yeah, that'd be cool. But I... Like you, I, I kind of want either to be with my friends or, or against them. So I'm not sure how they're going to control who's on the server and what. Because, you know, realistically, you're building a base. You've got something you have some ownership for. When you leave the server and come back, you want your stuff to exist. Yep. What happens when you're not there and the other players are, that kind of stuff. And we've explored that in games like um, H1Z1, for example, mm -hmm. where you can leave and come back and your stuff still exists. But there are other games where it doesn't. So Well, I, and even with uh, Seven Days to Die, uh -huh. the host, the person that has the map has to be online. And that was really the major limitation of not having a common server was that the host had to be online. And the other question to be asked is, is the single-player experience seamless with the multiplayer experience? If I'm playing by myself and my buddies join, do I have to switch over to that game? Oh, yeah. Or do they come in and out of my existing function? So a lot of questions to be asked. The game, I think, I thought it looked great in there. I oh, mean, it did. Yeah, the graphics were amazing. And I saw some sort of creature that had, like, no head mm -hmm. with really big arms and stuff, which seemed cool. I didn't see your dog companion. No, no, and that's an interesting omission because... You know, traditionally, Fallout games have had a wide variety of companions, and they each have their own stories and quest lines. Mm -hmm. In fact, Fallout and, well, really all Bethesda games, one of their strengths are the depth of the side quests and the miscellaneous characters that you meet. Yeah. So we have player on player. We have player on NPC. Is there some sort of, like, mechanic to, you know, decimate somebody else? It's so funny that you mention that because one of the most divisive elements rumored and then leaked in some of the gameplay footage is the fact that you can nuke an opponent's or an enemy squad's settlement. You can nuke it. 
that seems awesome. It does seem awesome, but I don't want to be on the receiving end of that. No, no. So bottom line is uh, Fallout 76 was a must-buy for me, but now I've become a little bit of a wait-and-see guy. I've been burned by prepays before. Yep. And uh, I don't want to mention, like, the Tamriel Online, which has been the last time that I really was disappointed by a Bethesda product. But I don't know. What did you think? I really like the graphics. I like the the concept of the gameplay. There's certain aspects of it that I think are going to be troublesome. Um, The nuke seems to be kind of a, uh, uh, was it uh, overkill? Yeah, well, yeah. But there's probably going to be a way to balance that, obviously. Um, And the biggest issue with like multiplayer games is making sure that there is a balance. Exactly. So if you're building a settlement, it can't be something like we... uh, like Age of Empires, for instance, where it's based off of resource management and you have to get up to a certain point before you can start attacking somebody else. And if that other player isn't at that same level, then you get decimated. Well, if the game progresses at different rates, then we're going to have that situation, obviously. And you make a very valid point. I hope that they haven't handicapped the level up and the experience and crafting stuff Mm -hmm. in an effort to keep the balance so that experienced players and new players will be on the same playing field. Yeah. So in general, I think I'm giving this one a strong wait and see for me. Yeah, I would agree. There's In today's gaming world, there's no reason why you need to prepay for a game. I mean, we're going to have so much DLC after the fact. They're going to get their money. They don't need it up front to the point where you can, yes, you get it the day it drops or the hour it drops, but you don't need that kind of stuff. I absolutely agree. The pre-buy does get you into the beta. So if you're interested, by the time you hear this, there'll be a little time left for that. But in general, if you are picking this game up, come find us on a server. Hopefully we'll be there. But that leads me to, I think, the game that you were most anticipating, which is, I think, a little bit of a different style. Bring us up to speed. Well, one of the games that we played a lot and talked about a lot on the podcast, it is Dying Light 2. It's a game that we played, well, the original Dying Light is a game that we have many, many hours in. Mm -hmm. Lots of co-op play, lots of single player play. And it's one of those games that it progresses at a regular rate, it allows you to spider off and do little side quests and stuff, but there's still one main storyline. With Dying Light 2, it's a little different. Let's watch the trailer. Okay, we're back. What'd you think of the trailer? It was pretty short, but yeah. it was more informational than the Fallout one in terms of what I, they displayed. Well, I agree. I think people are kind of know what to expect from Fallout, and Dying Light maybe less so, although I feel like it was a pretty popular game. Mm-hmm. The the increases are impressive, and I think that they're, they're displaying a, a pretty major change to their approach to the game. Yeah, it's not a sequel. It's a second Dying Light, I think. Because, of course, the original Dying Light was in Huron, and it was um, a very realistic story of a virus breaking out, and they quarantined off the area. That gave an, a map that you could play in, and anything beyond that, and you would die, obviously. This one seems to follow the same sort of situation, but is post-apocalyptic to the point where we have people trying to survive. We have people trying to gain power. We have people that are in control of stuff. Uh, the example that they had was you're on a mission to go and secure a water supply. Well, there's some people that are guarding it. You can either kill them or you can side with them. And depending on that decision, it changes what happens in the game, which is something that 
didn't happen in the original Dying Light. You could go on side quests right. and you could do stuff, but and in only in certain instances where like if you if your decision was to, you know, help one person, maybe later you might see them holding a pinwheel or something like that, right? Yeah, or, or change your trade options maybe. Yeah. But in this one, it changes the game style completely to the point where the example they gave was that, well, if you freed up the water supply, then all of a sudden it becomes martial law, but it's a much nicer place to live. Um, if you don't and you side with them, it becomes a black market item. And then it gives you different options of something to do later on. I have to tell you, I thought it was very telling that they spent nearly the entire trailer talking about the changes to the dynamics of the game and how you interact with the NPCs. Mm-hmm when so much of the game really is about what happens at night. Yeah. And and the fact that they kind of save that as an afterthought really shows me that they have changed the style of the game in an effort to really give you a more dynamic, almost a choose-your-own-adventure style story. Yeah, I really like that. And actually. I find that very appealing. And I should point out, and I know we've talked about this in previous things, but I was lukewarm to the DLC that came with Dying Light originally. The original game was so strong. Mm-hmm. And the add-on content was kind of hit or miss for me. In fact, the last one with the cars, I think... Yeah, the, the was, following was kind of weak. It was just weak. a way... It was a way for them to introduce another game mechanic, but it was pretty much moving it outside the city to give you a different aspect of it. So for me, the trailer was a nice surprise because it won me back over to the series. It showed me that I'm going to be spending time doing the incredible parkour that Dying Light did so well. Yes. And the interactions with the NPCs have become so much stronger. And then at the end, it reminded me that, oh, yeah, the nighttime aspect of the Dying Light, which is the infected, which is the zombie-esque mentality, is still going to be available for me, which made the game so electrifying. I mean, jump scare city and the night truly can be terrifying, especially when you're very early in the game and not powered up. Yeah. The one part of it that I was a little concerned with was with the original Dying Light game, the story was very, very clear about how and what happened. Yes. With Dying Light 2, in the short amount of time that we got to see in the trailer, there isn't any of that established story. And I understand that this is E3. They're talking about technology of what changed in the game and not really exposing some of the story elements. Maybe that's not completed yet. Right. To me, if it's a single-player game or a co-op game, which is what this appears to be, just like the original, the story is what's going to suck people in to have them play it over and over again, not the fact that you can try something different, like you can go make this decision and then go down that path and then come back when you play it again, go down this other path and try something else. Well, and you make a very valid point because one of the downsides of Dying Light was it didn't have a lot of replayability. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it had a very finite, definite end to the game, which was part of why the DLC was so less satisfying because it really didn't address the fact that you'd already beaten the game. Yeah, that's true. And I think that this is going to give you more replayability because if you go the white knight route or the, the, you know, the roguish element or even choose to just be a jerk, you're going to get a different outcome and it sounds like the storylines are going to go for that. And how deep that is remains to be seen. But replayability, you know, based on the demeanor of your character and, and the decisions you make, is going to give the game, I think, a lot more appeal. And it's really elevated the game back onto the list where I'm very interested in it again. It should get to the point where if you are a jerk 
the game might become unplayable to the point <laughs> where you have to stop and start all over and try something else. I oh, mean, yeah, lone wolf gameplay. I mean, the the original Dying Light, it didn't matter what you did. You know, you had modifiers that you could apply to your character, but you still made it to the end of the game. Yeah, the storyline was relatively linear. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing they didn't talk about, and I'd be curious to see if they've re-implemented it in a different way, was the ability to invade your friends' games and play against them as one of the infected. Oh, yeah, that was interesting. Um, I felt like this was a really underutilized element of the original game. It was fun, but it wasn't the kind of thing that would really hold your attention. It was more of a novelty. Well, I have to say that the original Dying Light was one of my most recommended games, and I still feel like it didn't get the attention that it really deserved. I think people avoided it because they weren't sure if it was a zombie game, if it was a parkour game, if it was more like Fallout. For me, it was a happy combination of those things. Mm-hmm. And I still probably wouldn't recommend the DLC, but this is a game I think you should seek out. And I think based on the trailer, Dying Light 2, for me, is going to be a dramatic improvement, which to me uh, makes it a definite recommend. Yeah. Speaking of recommends, you had one other trailer <laughs> that we were going to talk about, and I think uh, we left it to the end because we probably have the most to say about it. Well, and I agree. Now, this one shouldn't be a surprise to longtime listeners. And in fact, out of the three games... This is the only one that I've already pre-purchased, which maybe isn't a surprise. So without further ado, um, let's take a break and let's watch the Battlefield 5 release. All right, we're back after watching the Battlefield 5 trailer, and I am going to just say, wow. Well, they've really, I think they've really made an evolutionary step forward. But I think it's important to point out that this is not, at least as far as we know, a new engine. So this is still the Frostbite engine that we've seen in the most recent Battlefield 1. Mm-hmm. Although they have, it looks like, dramatically improved the graphics. And the gameplay is a lot different. But I want to address first, I think, the most controversial thing that's come out of this game. Okay. And that is that they've introduced female playable characters and female soldiers to the game. And it's in the Battlefield 2 arena, Mm -hmm. which means it is not necessarily contextually accurate. In fact, the trailer shows a gal with a prosthetic arm. So it's kind of alternate universe World War II. So this got a lot of folks riled up. And uh, personally, I don't have a problem with it because at the end of the day, it's still a video game. Mm -hmm. And I'm not particularly worried that Battlefield isn't 100% historically accurate. There are other games that scratch that itch and... Uh, frankly, I'm not interested. But of course, Battlefield 5 is primarily a multiplayer game with arenas up to 64 players, and that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Um, there has always been a single player mode, albeit relatively short. I would say more of a game demo or an extended tutorial. Like a trainer or something. Yeah. And uh, Battlefield 1 had a pretty lengthy one. It was a couple of hours. But this is not why people buy these games. It is the massive online mode. And to address that, they've added a Grand Operations mode, which is an extension of what Battlefield 1 has today, that takes the battle into multiple days in the same theater, where the effects of your previous effort carry on to the next day. And that could be, you know, in place guns that you've destroyed, the amount of lives that you lost before you took the flags, all carry over mm-hmm. to the extent where you could actually reach a sudden death moment where you have a limited health, single life if the game is close enough that they want to do, I guess it would be yeah, a sudden death or a tiebreaker. Yeah, it's a battle royale version, I <laughs> would consider. Because obviously, they're going to have to 
if it's a one life to live sort of thing and you had 64 players, if the map didn't shrink, it's going to go on forever. It's never going to end. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can see the influence of games like PUBG in that a little bit too. And I'm, I guess, grateful that they didn't go to a pure battle royale since that seems to be the, I don't know, the trendy type of gameplay right yeah. now. I, I was impressed that they added the option to build stuff. Yeah. So, so we watched the trailer and then we watched a multiplayer uh, kind of primer, if you will. Right. And they talked about how there was, um, when you're defending, you can actually build stuff. So you can build walls and, and sandbags. Place guns, sandbags, that kind of thing. So defensive emplacements... And you can destroy them also. So an additional element to the engineer, which is kind of nice. You build fortifications, Mm -hmm. uh, which helps you to defend a little bit better. And it gives you, I think, the added uh, element that was kind of missing from some of the classes is more differentiation. But the opposite side of that is now any player can revive a fallen player in your squad. So Electronic Arts has really said, well, Battlefield is at heart a team game and a squad-based game, and we want to reward that. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing the ability to revive anyone in your squad, regardless of your class. Of course, the medics have the ability to heal and heal to full anyone on the battlefield. Right. So there's still an advantage to being a medic, but you can keep your squad alive. You can spawn on your squad, and there are spawn-specific, squad-specific objectives that give bonuses for your experience. And Battlefield also has that unlock and experience-based combat to it. And we haven't seen a lot of that in the trailers. But what we do know is that they've chosen to go with a cosmetic upgrade. So when you buy Battlefield 5 for the first time, you don't have to buy that silly season pass and hope that the maps are good and that they introduce stuff that you like and pay the extra 20 or 30 bucks for the premium or whatever to get all that additional combat. Mm Mm-hmm. Or, you know, piecemeal it as these things come out for an additional cost. So big change with Battlefield Five is you're going to get all the content up front. But not unlike maybe Team Fortress, which pioneered this, you're going to have the ability to purchase or unlock uh, cosmetic changes. So fancy jackets, yeah. skins for your guns. Microtransactions. Yeah, the microtransactions are back. So the only advantage to prepaying for the upgraded version is that you're going to get access to the beta, like every game that we've talked about today. Yeah. (laughs) And also, you're going to get monthly free, um, I guess, crates, for lack of a better term, similar to what they do in Battlefield 1 today, that unlock the weapon skins and the vehicle skins. When Star Wars came out, EA was in control of that one. And there was a mode in there where they said, yeah, you can buy the whole game. You don't have to buy DLC. Yes. And then something happened with the microtransactions that really, really pissed people off. And it was like you had to unlock <laughs> characters yeah. by the microtransactions. In fact, they locked some of the elite characters so that you couldn't get them unless you paid to play, which was a huge big deal. I mean, one of the appeals of playing in the Star Wars universe is, oh, I could be Darth Vader or Boba Fett or whatever. Mm-hmm. And by limiting that behind the paywall to some extent and and it wasn't a hundred percent but it but it was a distinct pay-to-play advantage yeah and i think that this battlefield 5 shows what they've learned from that you're going to get all the gameplay they claim that you'll get all the balance so everything is cosmetic and i kind of think that that's cool yeah it's kind of the way to go you don't want to have to pay to unlock a place gun for instance, mm-hmm. because somebody else on your squad might have, and then, you know, of course, they only get 
money for one person getting it, not everybody. So Yeah, and one of the downsides of playing Battlefield 1 and even Battlefield 4 was you start out with the basic weapons and you gradually unlock the upgrades. Now, in Battlefield 4, you unlocked the weapon add-ons and then some of the weapons were locked to behind specific uh, missions, if you will, and even the single-player play. And in Battlefield 1... They went a little bit differently in that you could unlock the weapons by using the previous weapons. So it was more of a time-based element to unlock stuff. Right. And They'll probably that, have some of that again. Yeah, and what that meant was a lot of the beginning weapons were kind of a rite of passage. They just sucked. And you get to the point where, you know, to every balance patch, you kind of get to the point where everybody's using the same set of weapons over time. Yeah. And I don't know that there's a lot you can do to that because that's happening even in some of these old games. And I mentioned Team Fortress where that is very apparent. And Team Fortress um, stresses balance first. And it, well, they didn't have a wide variety of weapons you could choose from in Team no, Fortress either. No, and even they're to this point kind of out of balance. But you know that's what happens over time as you try to appeal to the gamers and keep adding stuff. It's very difficult to keep the balance. Mm-hmm. So Battlefield Five going to have cosmetic stuff. We've already seen it. You'll be able to play as a female. And I'm not going to lie, as a guy, if I'm going to watch somebody on the screen, yeah, I'm kind of interested in occasionally watching a girl play instead of watching the same batch of guys. So it's more variety. And that's going to add a great deal of customization also because you'll have elements that appeal to both the male and the female characters. Yep. Anticipating that there will be players that want those gaudy pink and purple outfits and some crazy camouflage. So a lot of opportunity there. Uh, <laughs> clown suit is the funny one that made it on Reddit. Heck yeah. Can you imagine a squad of clowns taking an action point? I, I kind of think that that's going to be cool. And I get that there are folks out there that go, oh, this is not historically accurate. But, you know, at the end of the day, Battlefield promises some of the best and most balanced multiplayer gameplay. The challenge has always been balancing the maps yep. and some maps better than others. The advantage there is finding the servers that play the maps that you want. I'm really anticipating the excitement of these grand maps. Today, the operations maps are really ticket-based. I mean, there's not really a lot of effect to when you take them or how quickly, except for points. Mm -hmm. So having that greater effect uh, really appeals to me. Having the ability to change the landscape by building stuff jumping into tank and moving a gun gives me enough of a difference that I'm excited about the franchise again. Yeah. Well, as they say, you can throw back grenades and shoot them in the air. So that (laughs) kind of adds a little bit of um, skill and fun to it as well. Super cool and kind of fun. And the other side of that too, is they've really revamped the movement. I mean, it's kind of funny because we just talked about dying light, which is probably one of the most fluid parkour games out there. Yeah. And, Battlefield 5 has added quite a bit of new movement. The vaulting is smoother. You can jump onto your back. You can slide to the side. And we're not talking about some of the cheesy stuff, dolphin diving and stuff that's existed in the games before, uh, but a real dynamic element. And it slides you into cutscenes. In Battlefield 1, they added the knife animations, which is pretty dang cool, but not a lot of variety. But Battlefield 5 has added the ability to drag a body to safety before you revive them. Mm -hmm. Knife elements, vaulting, all kinds of stuff that's going to give you more fluidity. Hopefully it's going to fix the problems where you couldn't lay down or jump over things that were part of the map designs and the limitations of the movement in Battlefield 1 and Battlefield 4. And as I mentioned already, just based on the strength of these improvements, this was a pre-buy for me. And I've always been a Battlefield fan, so that shouldn't come surprise to anybody. 
but I feel like they're still making evolutionary steps. And to me, I think that they haven't reached the maximum they can get from this frostbite engine with the destroyable and the rebuildable elements and the levolution. And going back to World War II gives us a more set element. Yeah, I would have liked to have maybe seen some of the future and the 2142 come back, but I think it's still coming. I think that there's more to come, and I'm excited about getting on the battlefield and playing some of these huge maps. So for me, a huge thumbs up, and definitely will be supporting this with my clan and my team and hoping to see everyone out on Battlefield 5 here in October. Well, cool. Well, those were three trailers that we watched. If you happen to like this kind of format, you know, drop us a line and... Uh... We'll see you again. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook. This has been an Engine Lane production, copyright 2018. Thanks for listening.